This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 211. Howard Cooper ruins a magic trick. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back to the program to you and a welcome back to the program to Howard Cooper here on the program for the second time. Uh, Last time was back in December 2017, episode number 142 for those of you keeping track and counting along for fun. And Howard comes to us out of the UK and just an amazing worker of a hypnotist as well as another fellow hypnosis podcaster. Check out his program, the Rapid Change Works podcast, as well as heading over to his website, rapidchange.work to learn about the programs that Howard mentions here inside of this conversation. And I'll set this one up for you before we officially jump in, that there's a moment that Howard does sometimes, that's the key phrase here, sometimes in his process, if the client raises the question, what do I do if this wears off? What do I do if this stops working? And I've always been a firm believer in the mindset of show rather than tell. And admittedly, this is a moment that for years I've just been talking I've just been telling them how, well, here's why that's not the case. And I think Howard has a really cool way of showing and demonstrating that mindset, which whether this specific moment is within your skill set yet or not really doesn't matter because you'll see the way that we even talk about the metaphor of the magician at the back of the audience. There might be a way to do it by metaphor rather than just demonstration. But then again, it's a really cool moment when Howard explains this. So you're going to hear through this conversation what he's been up to ever since and i'd highly recommend head over to rapidchange.works and subscribe to his program and for further online hypnosis training check out hypnoticworkers.com this is the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library in a digital easy to digest format check that out over at hypnoticworkers.com and with that let's jump directly into this quick mini episode of a week this is session number 211 howard cooper ruined a magic trick. So we were chatting a little while ago, and there was something that you told me the story of that you've put into, I believe it was your pre-talk, a bit of a, a bit of an experience that you then, uh, let's phrase it this way to kind of kick it off to change the experience of it after they've had the experience. How cryptic is that? I have no clue what you're even talking about. And it was that conversation we had. Yeah, so elaborate on that then. (laughs) Well, do you know what? It's it's not something that I do in the pre-talk so much as it's a moment, but you can do it in the pre-talk, but it developed from a moment that I often had with people. If anyone said towards the end or at any point during a session, like, does this stuff last? Like, will it be a lasting change? And rather than just kind of try and persuade them with words, I like to give them an experience where they suddenly go, oh, of course, of course it's going to last. How could it not? Um, So what I do is I show them a magic trick. And I've, for those of you who have heard my past uh, conversation with Jason in the the podcast series that we talked about my background as a magician, and uh, I interweave a particular effect where I essentially hold up my hands in front of them. Well, you've already called it an effect, so we know it's better than a magic trick. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's not just a... Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do effects. And, um, yeah, so, so I, essentially I have my hands up in front of them for normally about a minute. And I just sort of, like, keep them there. And there's this really funny moment where they look a bit uncomfortable going, like, there's this lunatic looking at me with his hands in the air. Why? 
What do I have mm. to do? And I'll just kind of hold it and hold their gaze. And after a minute, I'll reach forwards and I'll just pull out a red handkerchief from my hands. And they always go, oh, because they get shocked as to where that came from. Yeah. At which point they think it's all a bit like, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's this all about? But I'll say to them, like, do you know how I did that? And just to re just mm. to recap that. So you're sitting there for a few moments with empty hands. Mm. And totally you're, empty. you're holding that to the moment where it's a few seconds too long. And then from bare hands, you're then producing a little red handkerchief. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that I'm holding it far longer <laughs> than okay. a little. I, I want them to have that moment of like really squirming in their seat, going, "What on earth is going on?" And because even that takes them out that kind of known pattern of what to expect. But even for the uh, for the quality of the uh, sorry effect uh, for the quality of that, it's very clear that your hands are empty. But yeah. then suddenly magic happens, and there's a little red hanky. Absolutely, and uh, they normally go, oh, they they giggle, they laugh, they like fall back on their chair, uh, on the chair, and it's it's a funny moment. And I'll say, do you know how I did that? And they'll go, uh, no. And this is where I'm now going to become the uh, probably get death threats from magicians all around the world. <laughs> As I reveal the true secret of uh, this, and I, but I, I do this to my clients and I'll say, it's a fake thumb. And I pull off and I show them I got this like fake thumb. But the best thing about this fake thumb that I use uh, is like, it's really fake. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it barely matches the color of my skin. It, it like hangs over because I got really slim thumbs and this thing is like too big for me. So it hangs over. But the funny thing is, is and, and all that happens is the hanky gets stuffed in there and it, and you stick your thumb in it. But here's the thing, when you just hold your hands up to establish that they're empty and you didn't tell them about fake thumb, they're not processing it. Their, their attention is not drawn on that and they genuinely do not see it. Mm -hmm. But the moment I say to them, hey, look, it's a fake thumb and look how terrible it looks. It doesn't even match my skin tone. Look, it doesn't even match the size of my thumb. And they go, oh, my God, it doesn't. Like, how did I not see that? And I'll say, well, I'll try and fool you again and watch what happens. And I'll go through the same thing again. And they start laughing. I go, why are you laughing? They go, because all I can see is a fake thumb. How could I ever be taken in by that? And I'll say, and that's exactly right. Once you have that piece of information, you've been told something new that you didn't have before. How could you ever be fooled by it again? And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to give you some new information. And once you have it, like, your brain has that. You can't go back to how things were. I always say to them, like, if I tried to do this trick for you in three weeks' time, would you still be, would you then be fooled by it? Or would you say, well, you know, three weeks ago, I, I kind of forgot. They're like, no, you could do it in five years' time or ten years' time. I'm still going to know that it was a fake thumb. <laughs> so it gives them that experience of going, oh, yeah. It f and I'm often of the belief that sometimes with this kind of stuff, like, the argument doesn't have to necessarily make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It just has to feel like it does enough for them to buy in. Yeah. You know, of all things, there's a there's a comedian who does a political show over here by the name of Bill Maher. And I think I've brought him up here before just for the reason of there's one routine that he does on his TV show, which is called. I don't know if this is a fact, but it sure sounds like it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And there's something in that moment of you know the correlation of and I have to say, I reached out to you originally with the phrasing that, hey, Howard, I want to do an episode called Howard Cooper ruins a magic trick, because I think that's a really <laughs> great moment, um, which which mine has been for years. If I taught you a new word, you know, here here's a funny story of a time I had to look up what the curly part at the end of a staircase is to find out that it's called a volute. 
And now I know that, which was a much longer story. But there you are ruining a magic trick and driving the home, driving the point home a whole lot better. Well, it, it, it's, it's that. Thank you so much. I have to tell you, it was the only time I've ever been on Amazon going out of my way to buy something that got w- really terrible reviews. Nice. Because <laughs> I was looking and like people were going super realistic and it, it really matches nope. skin tone. And I was like, no, not not the point. I want one that, that really makes the point clear. Um, the other thing that I do sometimes, and it's the same the same kind of thing, but I'll often take them into that story where I'll go, have you ever been like really involved in a TV show? Like super like just waiting, desperate for the next episode or the finale to come out. And on the day it comes out, you can't watch it. You're not there live to see it. So you tell everyone, if you see it before me, don't ruin it for me. Don't tell me. Don't, don't give it away. And on your, you know, the last day... You know, you manage to go almost the whole day and just five minutes before you uh, you watch it live, you check your mail or whatever and someone sends you what happens and the main character dies. Oh, no. How could it be? And it's ruined. Like, you can't go back to not knowing. So that's another way I'll often skin the cat uh, with that kind of thing, where if they can really, if they're a TV buff and they get very involved in that, they go, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. They often, uh, they often relate to that too. But no, the magic trick is, is cool. I like ruining magic. What can I say? <laughs> no, I'd share that uh, using that theme. It's actually something that I, I have modeled since you told me about that. Um, but in the context of just more conversation, I do like the visceral experience of actually doing it. But yep. explaining that the real reason the magician doesn't do the trick again is not that you might figure it out the second time, which is part of it, perhaps. It's more so that you now know the end of the trick, that by nature of most magic tricks, there's a surprise at the end of it. So if here's the magician on stage and they're handcuffed and put into a mail sack, which is the thing that, you know, you do, and uh, they're trying to escape, and then suddenly the bag collapses to the floor and it's empty, and now magician is in the back of the audience blowing a whistle, you turn around and look and go, oh, there they are. You know, how would you watch the trick a second time? You'd be, sorry, how would you watch the effect a second time? You'd be looking in the back of the audience going, oh, there they are, waiting for that revelation. So let me ask you this. If if someone had a follow-up question on that, and let's put this into the context of, let's say, fear of flying. How, how would you just unpack the metaphor if you really had to? Um, I don't think I've ever had a follow-up question about oh, that. They yeah. kind of just go, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. You know, I mean, ultimately, the, the way I often start my sessions or talk to people is around saying, well, listen, I, I'm going to invite you to take everything that you think you know about this issue and just kind of totally put it to one side. Because if the solution to this issue lay in what you already knew, you wouldn't be here. Beautiful. And they kind of nod. Um, and therefore, the best way I know how to help you see something new is for me to give you information that you haven't got before. Now, if I combine that with the visceral feeling that they get of the thumb tip, that's the technical term, by the way. I'm so sorry, magicians. Um, but the, the fake thumb. And they have that visceral experience of, wow, now I've seen something new. It can never go back. Well, there's enough dots, I think, unconsciously for them to join, which is I explain my job is now in relation to flying or anxiety or whatever the problem is to help you see something new. And once you see it, that has the domino knock-on effect of changing everything. So once you've set those pieces up, people tend not to have kind of, you know, those uh, further questions. Awesome. Awesome. So then is there a specific context where you've been using this or is it kind of the uh, just one more thing if necessary? It's a for me, it's a one more thing if necessary or if I feel like they're 
if they've raised concerns about like is this stuff permanent or right you know they come i mean i had someone a few weeks ago and they were like well you know i'm i'm looking forward to today i i know it can be effective but my friend said that they did hypnotherapy and it only lasted for 4 weeks you know so i they're kind of coming already with some ideas and i that aren't necessarily helpful to them right so i want to do everything i can do before we set about helping them uh, to, it, for me, it's about setting the frame and, and expectation correctly to make sure that they know that it, it can change. But more than that, once they see something differently, it's done. Right. It's yeah. locked in. Um, it's this idea as well of, uh, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, handing out, you know, recordings. You know, now you have to, now we've done the hypnosis, you have to listen to the recording every night for the next seven weeks. It's, it puts the idea it's not done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and there are method. There are times where I think those sorts of follow ups are useful. But you know, I, I want to do what I can ahead of time to make sure that it's it, it, it's as most streamlined as it can be. The change, right? Well, I mean, you, you mentioned just setting the frame of something that it's you know in terms of how we produce something of that nature, how we share it, if that's going to be part of the process. That uh, who was that? There's an old story of Jerry Kine. That And whether the details of the story are factually accurate or not, I'm not sure. But I love the premise of it, that he'd go, oh, I hand them a stop-smoking audio cassette, after the, which dates the story. I give them a stop-smoking audio cassette after the session, and as I hand it to them, I tell them, look, you're not going to need this, but here you go anyway. Yeah. And in the teaching of that moment, he would talk about how, oh, it was a blank audio cassette, and that was my check to see if it worked, which um, whether or not that part was, again, uh, tall tale or fact – but it's where if if I am going to share some sort of audio with a client, you know, it's going to be here's a technique. And the more you make use of this technique, the less you're going to need it. So rather than again, I found something with that context of, you know, if you ever give somebody the premise as to here's why it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, oh, you have to listen to this with headphones because it's in stereo. And as soon as the person, you know, doesn't have headphones, oh, it's not going to work because. Yeah. Although I, I will share a funny story about years ago when I used to do the, the recordings for people and some, someone rang me and said, uh, I, I, your, your recording was awful. I, I didn't get on with it at all. I was like, well, why not? They said, well, I kept kind of zoning out. So to make sure I didn't zone out, I set an alarm to go off every two minutes <laughs> so, so that I could make sure I was fully conscious as I listened. And I've had no benefits. Um yeah, that, that that was that was fun, but but going back to something you um you just said, I have a, I have a kind of a framing of uh, something that's quite similar. Well, I'll often talk about the example of being in a room. Like, imagine I'll say, imagine if you're in a room with a TV and it turned on too loud. It was just like blaring offensively loud, level a hundred, top of the scale. You know, what would you do? You wouldn't freak out, would you? Like, you just reach forward and take the remote control and turn it down. That's it. However, you watch someone in a room with the TV, it goes on too loud, level 100, blaring, and you've taken the batteries out the remote, you'll watch them start freaking out. Ah! Ah, how do I turn it down? Quick, quick, what do I do? What do I do? The interesting thing is not that it's too loud that's the problem, it's that they feel like they have no control. So sometimes I'll do a session where I'll say, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools. These are like your remote control, but the fact that you have it sitting in front of you means you'll never need to use it. Hmm, Nice. You know, and then I'll reinforce that as we go through. Like, this is another thing that you won't need. But knowing it means that it's sitting there, the safety of the remote with the full batteries in. Yeah. So you're trying to suggest to me that somehow metaphor is actually a useful tool for us. Well, I wouldn't say that, but that does remind (laughs) me of a story about my friend John. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I think metaphor and evoking states, 
through conversation. That's where it's all done. I mean, you had a really nice point earlier about uh, magic and that, you know, you don't do the effect the second time because they know where to look. And at that point, they can track it. That That's a lot for me how I work. I think a lot of magic effects, the trickery, sneaky little bit that the magician does happens well before the person knows to look out for it. Right. And it's the same with, uh, you know, client work that I do. I want to put all the seeds in ahead of time. The framing, the ideas, the suggestions, where it's going, the fact that it's possible. So that by the time we do, in inverted commas, the hypnosis, it's kind of all done already. Mm -hmm. They can't resist it because they don't know where to look. I'm already at the back of the auditorium (laughs) waiting to come on. And they didn't know. What's the principle that in sales that we should not be asking for the sale until we're already certain we've already got it? That's when we make that pivot. And the mindset in the session that I'm not going to officially go close your eyes, follow my instructions until I know that 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 change, that effect is firmly in motion. I mean, even to look at hypnotic phenomenon, I'm not going to say try to bend your arm until I already see that we've already got that magical result. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's not how it used to be. I mean, years and years ago, I... I was thinking at some point of preparing a talk to share uh, called something along the cringeworthy moments of my life <laughs> as a therapist, just because I think there's a lot of people out there who see, you know, some amazing top uh, hypnotherapists and trainers, but it almost feels like they've never had the very human moments of where, you know, you totally screw up or totally cock up or something goes wrong. And no, no, I think we've all had them. And it's quite Oh, I think we need for... one of those stories now, Howard. Uh, okay. Yes. Well, I, I walked into that one, didn't I, Jason? <laughs> I, I remember doing, there was a time at which I used to do arm catalepsy towards the end of a session. And I don't know why I used to do this. Looking back, I, I do cringe. Here's the cringeworthy moment where I, you could have had an amazing session with someone, done some really good work. And then foolishly, I would manage to tie every possible good thing that we'd have covered during that session to whether or not I could get arm catalepsy. So not even stacking the odds in my favor of lifting the arm up, you know, so you got gra- and lifting it over their head so you got gravity working against you. No, literally, stone cold on their lap, doing nothing. Can I get it to rise up? You know, so your hand will rise up now only at the speed and rate you can integrate all of these positive changes. Newsflash, if this thing doesn't come up now, we've created yeah. a complex equivalence between the last hour and a half is totally wasted. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remember with, with one gentleman, you know, and it was like, I thought, okay, it's going, nothing's happening. I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I'm timing my suggestions on his in-breath so that as he breathes in, maybe the, 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 the physiological feeling of it rising will encourage it to go up. The lifting, the drifting, the words, the non-verbal communication. I'm throwing everything I got to this thing and it's stuck, not moving anywhere. And uh, I was not utilising particularly well at this stage. We're talking about 17 years ago now. And um, I'm looking at my watch thinking I've got someone else coming in 15 minutes. So I'm there bashing away. It's lifting. It's going to rise. And the more it rises, it'll go to the speed and rate, please. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure he could hear the pleading, you know, beginning sort of. And I'm looking at my watch 10 minutes to go. Then five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. I know they're going to be waiting outside in a moment for the next thing. This hand is still just laying like a limp fish on his lap. Nothing's <laughs> happening. And before I can even do anything else, he suddenly like peeks at me, opens his eyes, peeks at me and goes, nice try. Oh. And I'm just, and that was the moment when I thought there's got to be, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Of, uh, so yeah, that, that, that was one of those cringy moments. But you know, for me, as long as you take those moments and then you go, right, Let's reflect on it. What can I do differently next time? How can I make sure that I don't back myself into a corner like that? Right. I mean, if anything, put all the suggestion after once that thing has already moved. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Get the movement. And if it doesn't, go for heaviness. Utilize yeah. it. Utilize something. They don't know where you're going. Exactly. You know, um, so, you know, I, th I think sometimes... <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't matter, like making some make mistakes now and then, making some, having some cock-ups, some screw-ups, you know, as long as you can look back and laugh at them and then, like, not do it again, I think. Right. Like, <laughs> do something different next time that's more effective. You know, that's the difference. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, you were on the program a couple of years ago. Uh, what have you been up to since? What have I been up to since? So more podcast, uh, so more conversations with leading therapists and agents of change. Um, I created uh, Rapid Change Works. Uh, so that's rapidchange.works has an online training portal now. So I've been putting on live events now, uh, to name a few, Jürgen Rasmussen, Felix Economarchis, to name a few. Um, but we've we've been very good at filming the material and putting it out in uh, in an online format, so that in easily digestible bite-sized chunks you can go online and go through the material. I wanted to find a way of um, having material that you could go through at that kind of pace. I think you know we've all been guilty in the past of buying the you know the seventeen DVD box set, watching the first you know three hours and then never doing the rest of it. Um, but yeah, this this seems to be a very nice way of integrating online training because there's also comments underneath each lesson as well. Oh, nice. Uh, so there's there's a growing community of people who can get support from going through it. So look, you're not you're no stranger to the online training world, but I think it's a really really cool format. So people can certainly check that out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really just getting focused on getting out uh, and doing as much change work as I can, helping people. I've become agony uncle in a local press that covers. Uh, it's 12 papers that cover my local area, so that's been very good for lead generation and various magazines as well. Getting myself out and about, making myself known so that people with issues can uh, come and find me. Outstanding. And before we wrap it up, any final thoughts to share uh, in terms of setting the frame for change? Um, no, I mean, I, th I think people... Well, uh, do you know what? One thing I would say is we mustn't assume that if someone turns up because for a change work session that actually they're ready or wanting to change. Um, and that sometimes, you know, I think we can leap into change work too early before we've dotted the I's and crossed the T's and they're not really on board yet. So, yeah, I mean, I can elaborate more if you'd like. Yeah. So what what, what, what do you typically do in that situation then? What's your guidance on that? Let's well, say. So, so for me, one of the things that I'll often start with is just a, a really nice open question. Like, what would you like to change today? And they'll normally tell me. And I'll, I'll, something, I'll say something along the lines of like, would it be OK for this change to happen today? And they all say this to me. They all say yes, everyone, apart from the way they say yes tells you a lot. Yes. So someone that goes, absolutely, sign me up, I'm ready, is very different from someone who goes, yeah. <laughs> and that's someone who there's internal resistance. There's mm -hmm. something inside of them that for me, it's like an alarm bell that if I jump into close your eyes, let's make this happen. But there's this little seed of doubt somewhere in, in their mind I, I tend to think it's it's never quite as effective. Whereas if I can guide them through conversation, through metaphor, to uncover any internal resistance there is, help them look at it a different way, and finally, if I turn around to them and say, listen, so like bearing in mind all this stuff that we've just been talking about, is it okay now for you to have this change today? And they go, do you know what? Thinking about it like that, absolutely, yes. Then I know I'm okay. For me, I, I call it clearing clearing the space for change. Nice. So I want to clear the space for change before I kind of do it. And I think that's a big difference between how, how I work now uh, in the last sort of six, seven years versus how I used to be before. I was very much like, OK, do this, do that, do the other. We're going to change it. Do, 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 do. And now it's like I want to make sure that there's the space. You have the internal headspace and, and the mindset where you're ready for this. 
Jason Lynette here, and once again, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for sharing it on your social media streams, and leaving your reviews online. Once again, head over to rapidchange.works to check out Howard's content, subscribe to his phenomenal podcast over on your favorite podcasting app and uh, resource, and once again, check out hypnoticworkers.com for the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. I'm Jason Lynette. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.